Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. today is our very own Sangha member, David Lewis, who has been following the Dharma path for over 40 years and has a degree in comparative religious studies. He started out in the, in the Tibetan Shambhala tradition and has been practicing Vipassana meditation since moving to San Francisco 30 years ago. For the past 10 years, he has been teaching and practicing intensively. David is a member of the Mission Dharma Sangha, where he teaches an introduction to inside meditation. He is a longtime member of the Gay Buddhist Fellowship and also leads a weekly sitting group for seniors every Friday morning. David's currently enrolled in the Spirit Rock Meditation Center's Advanced Practitioners Program and has been on the teaching team for Spirit Rock Retreats. Welcome, David. Thank you, Roy. <coughs> I dislike that bio more every time I hear it. <laughs> I think I'm going to officially change it. David likes to meditate. <laughs> I would like that. <laughs> That's very wrong meditation. Let's, let's do. Whoever's in charge, let's change it. Um, so that was in the interest of transparency, and also in the interest of transparency, which is one of my themes today. Well, I tell you that I've been sick for the last week um, and wasn't sure I was going to be able to make it this morning. Uh, but I'm really happy that, I, that I'm here. And I'm on the med and I feel better. But my voice might get raspy. You might notice. I wanted to uh, dedicate my talk this morning to John Adraka. Mm -hmm. who uh, is a dear friend of this sangha and has taught here uh, many times and is in hospice care in, uh, down in Menlo, I think. And I just want to send out our best wishes and our compassion and our, and our love for her. Um, I know this sangha loves John a lot. She's, she's an honorary gay man. And uh, she's funny. She's entertaining, much more funny and entertaining than I am. She's colorful. And she's had an amazing life, uh, a very colorful life, which I'm not going to address. I don't feel like I have permission to talk about her life. But she does that quite uh, readily. Um, so I don't have to do it on her behalf. You know. Um, but she's also authentic. She's a very authentic teacher. There's, she leaves nothing out in her uh, Dharma practice and in her teaching. She talks about everything, you know, the darkest periods of her life and, and, and her current status. And I read um, someplace, somebody did a posting about her, an update on her uh, medical condition. And 
She said, she was quoted, she said, I'm dying, you know, but it's all fabrication. <laughs> and uh, so at least the first part of my talk, uh, I want to kind of parse that out a little bit uh, in uh, appreciation of John Adraka. I'm dying, you know, but it's all a fabrication. Fabrication is... Um, is kind of an unusual word in English. It's obviously a made thing, a conditioned thing. And um, as we know from the Buddhist teachings, most of our, um, not only our body, but most of our life experience is, is, is all about conditioning. We're conditioned beings. Um, and er anything that is a, a conditioned being is uh, subject to more conditioning, meaning change. The, uh, the word fabrication is actually... Uh, a translation for the Pali word, Pali being the, the Buddha's language, of Sankara, Sankaras. And Sankaras are one of the aggregates. I've got to talk about the aggregates in a, in a few minutes. But uh, fabrication, or Sankaras, is one of the aggregates. And it's the aggregate, and the aggregates are what make us up as human beings. Um, those things, our body, our, our memories, our mind, sense perceptions uh, are all those things that make up our, our idea of ourselves, whether that's real or not, our idea of ourselves um, are the aggregates so aggregates means is a bundle, a bundle of things so the aggregate of sankaras are formations uh, or fabrication what John Draka called fabrication is the aggregate of our um, conditioned beliefs and patterns one teacher uh, uh, translates them as our programs, as if it was a computer program. We're programmed, just like a, a computer. The limiting delusion that we are our core habitual patterns and beliefs. And it is a delusion. We, we develop these patterns and beliefs and stuff that we were taught in school and raised to think and um, studied in college and gain through experience and our, our life and our work life and our relationship. Um, it's a series of patterns and beliefs that may or may, may or may not be true or real. Well, I guess they're real, but they may or may not be true. Everything we've learned plus our interpretation of our experience, fabrications, our neuroses, our habits, our assumptions, our views of ourselves and the world including personality view. Uh, the Pali word for that is Sakaya Ditti, personality view. And the Buddha described personality view, our, our idea of ourselves as our personality. I am a teacher, or I am a man, or I am a San Franciscan. Uh, all, those are all personality views. Um, they're, they're all fabrications. Personality belief, the Buddha said, was the first of the ten fetters that need to be let go of in order to become awakened. So, he's not saying that personality view or any of the other fabrications, any of our other programs, are not real. They're very real. We need to see them for what they are. And to the best of our ability, let go of them. If we can let go of our, our strong sense of, of uh, personality view, we might open ourselves to being more than what we think we are. We might be much greater than we think we are. And I was just reminded, reminded of a Walt, Walt Whitman quote, and I'm not one of those people that can remember uh, quotes, but I wish I brought it with me. But, uh, there's a wonderful Walt Whitman quote where he says, I'm greater than I think I am. I, I encompass everything. So the aggregates, those um, various things that we define ourselves by, um, the, the word aggregate means a, a bundle of stuff or uh, a basket of sticks, otherwise known as a faggot. Um, the aggregates are this bundle of stuff that uh, all together, our mind, our body, our experience in the world gives us this idea of who we are. 
So I think when, uh, I'd like to interpret when John has said that, you know, it's all a fabrication. I'm dying, you know, but it's all a fabrication. She wasn't just talking about Sankara's fabrication. She was talking about all the aggregates, all of which are conditioned, all of which are, are fabrications. I think she was talking about all the aggregates. So when she said, I'm dying, you know, but it's all a fabrication, she's saying it's nothing to worry about. We're just this collection of stuff that came together in this <coughs> lifetime and will come apart again and become something else, and it's no big deal. It's a profound statement of wisdom on her part. In hospice, dying. So, um, when we talk about the aggregates as this bundle of stuff that make up our idea of self, which isn't real, um, we're kind of entering the territory, which I've talked about before, the very interesting territory of, of anatta, of no self, or not self, that the Buddha talked about. And that's one of the character, characteristics of existence. It's a very important core um, understanding in Buddhism. And it's one that people have the most struggle, I find, um, coming to accept this idea of not-self. It's not the same thing, subtle distinction, it's not the same thing as no-self. The, the Buddha never said, there is no-self. But he did challenge people to, um, to explore that idea and to show him, challenge people to show him um, where the self originates. He said, show me the self. And the aggregates, this list of aggregates, bundle of stuff, is what people most often came up with. People would say, well, you know, look, you can, you can see this body here, right in front of you. It's, it's proof that I've got a self. Or my opinions are myself. Or my ideas are myself. It's my point of view, my personality view. So, the first of the five aggregates, there's five, but they include everything, literally everything. The first of the five aggregates is material form, or the Pali word is rupa. And I like to use the Pali word, um, or at least bring your attention to it, because um, it's interesting, in, in, in Buddhist perspective, rupa means form. Um, and it's often described as uh, defined as body when teachers talk about it. But it's really much more than your body or my body. This is a, a Buddha Rupa. And this wall behind me is a Rupa. And your, uh, your sense of, your eyes and your ears being part of your body are Rupa. But also, all of the sense contacts that, that your eyes meet are Rupa. So everything you see is Rupa. Body, form, it's the first of the aggregates. Including the five sense objects and all, and five sense organs and all of their objects. The second aggregate is um, feeling tones. The Pali word is vedna, feeling tones. Feeling tones doesn't mean emotions. It's not about your emotions. That comes later. But feeling tones are the quality of each moment of sense contact in your life. And this is a really fascinating one to explore in meditation. Um, to notice the quality of each moment of sense contact. It's going to have one of three characteristics. It's either going to be your, your response, it's going, you're going to find it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So, Play with that sometime. Explore your meditation. Notice that, that um, every moment is, has some uh, quality of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. The pleasant and unpleasant are the kind of easy ones to identify. Um, and it's not the same thing as good and bad. It's not a value judgment. Your pleasant might be different than my pleasant. You might find uh, the temperature in the room uh, quite pleasant right now. And I might find it a little too warm, unpleasant. And most everybody else might find it neutral, 
there's no absolute value here. It's simply our response, automatic response that happens in a split second to every moment of sense contact. So why do we bother paying attention to that? What's the value in it? Well, if you think about it, having pleasant or unpleasant or neutral arise in our experience in every moment is going to lead to something. We're going to start thinking about that. We're going to have a response to that. So that which is pleasant in our experience becomes something that we like. And something we like is something that we want. And something we want is something that we crave. And something we crave is something that we have to have. Likewise, an unpleasant response to the simplest things in life, an unpleasant response leads us to something we don't like. We don't like the unpleasant. We want to push it away. We want to avoid it. We want to run away from it. We might hate it. Dislike it leads to hate. All the aversive responses. So eventually, this feeling tone of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, if we don't check it, if we don't notice it, if we don't see it happening in our own experience, it becomes likes and dislikes. It becomes craving and aversion, and eventually it becomes greed, hatred, and delusion. The great taints that the Buddha talked about. Greed, hatred, and delusion start with a simple noticing a feeling of pleasant or unpleasant in our experience. So it's well worth paying attention to when we find something pleasant. In the chain of dependent origination, which is kind of the Buddha's flowchart about how suffering happens or how stress happens in our life, and it really is like a flowchart. This is where stress starts and this is how it happens. Feeling tones or vagueness is the point along the chain where the Buddha said you're most able to change your behavior or your response to the world. So if you want to cultivate more love in your life, more acceptance, or if you want to hate less, feeling tones is a good place to start. It's something that you can watch in your direct experience, everyday experience. The third of the aggregates is called perception, or sana in Pali. And perception is, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, actually I could give a whole Dharma talk on any one of the aggregates, so I'm kind of skipping through them. But perception is how we label things, how we recognize things. And you can imagine that our labels for things could be the source for a lot of trouble in the world. My label for something is not the same as your label. And it comes right down to politics or religion or the way we think the world ought to be, the way we define things. So understanding our perceptions, understanding the labels that we put on things, and without questioning whether they're true or not, true or authentic, is another rich area for exploration and meditation. All of these aggregates, the Buddha said, they're not something to be gotten rid of, they're something to be studied. That's how we know ourselves with nothing left out, leaving nothing out. The bad stuff, the good stuff, the neutral stuff. The pleasant, the unpleasant, the neutral. So Samuel Beckett, uh, the playwright, wrote of uh, perception. This is a profoundly Buddhist statement. I don't know if he was a Buddhist, I don't think so. Samuel Beckett wrote, quote, no direct contact is possible between subject and object because they are separated by the subject's consciousness of perception. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Again? 
Samuel Beckett said, no direct contact is possible between subject and object because they are separated by a subject's consciousness of perception. So he's basically saying um, it's very difficult for you to see a tree without all the labels that, that comes with that automatically. That's a tree, that's an oak, that's a maple, that's a dead tree, that's a nice tree, that's a ni not a nice tree. Um, those are all those are all perceptions. Uh, fourth aggregate, um, I already talked about some, is sankaras, um, which we defined as fabrications or formations. That's the word that John Adrocken used. Um, sort of programs. Um, and that includes everything. Thoughts, memories, um, responses to things, uh, the way we uh, see ourselves in the world, the way we operate in the world, the way we understand ourselves. It's a vast study. And finally, the fourth of the aggregates, and again, I'm just reminding you that the aggregates are how we define ourselves as us, how we understand ourselves. Um, so think about it. Some people say, yes, I'm my body, or yes, it's, I'm my response to things. I'm this pleasant or unpleasant, or yes, I'm my perceptions. My perceptions are very perceptive. Uh, the fourth is consciousness. Another way we understand ourselves is ourselves. Who is the knower? Who knows? And that's a really compelling one, isn't it? I am conscious, therefore I am. You know, Western philosophy for much of the 19th century subscribed to it. I think, therefore I am. Who is the knower? Buddha said, explore this. Who is the knower? Who knows? What is consciousness all about? Uh, we've talked about it before, but um, one way of understanding consciousness is that it's um, a conditioned thing, that consciousness is not absolute, um, unlike awareness, perhaps. Uh, but consciousness <coughs> requires a, a sense organ and an object. So in order for me to be conscious of that tree, I need to have an eye to see it, and the tree needs to be there. It needs three things, an eye, a tree, and consciousness to bring them together. Same thing with our sense of taste, our sense of hearing. So those are the five aggregates. And when the Buddha would ask people to explore their direct experience and tell them where the self is, where the self originates, generally people would respond from one of those aggregates, in my body or in my mind. The first of the aggregates, rupa, body, is uh, about material form. The other four are all about mind. So. Material form is the body, but the feeling tones, perception, fabrications of consciousness are all mind. Mind collectively in uh, Pali is, uh, is called nama. And so uh, you may recognize the phrase when, when um, people are talking about the totality of experience our experience of the world, the totality of the world, is nama rupa, mind and body, mind and body, body being all material things, mind being vastness of collective consciousness and my own mind, whatever that is. Nama rupa is reality from a Buddhist point of view. So the when the Buddha talked about uh, the aggregates, he used the metaphor of a chariot. You might have heard this. People say, well, you know, what, what exactly? Say, I know it's complicated. What exactly are you talking about? And the Buddha, the Buddha said, well, think about a chariot. 
It's got this box, and it's got wheels, and it's got an axle, and it's got reins. And, um, if, you, if you take away the wheels, this is still a chariot. And if I show you, is that a chariot? Are the reins a chariot? In the suttas, the answer is always, well, no, the reins are reins, and the wheels are wheel, the box is a box. So the Buddha would say, therefore, the chariot is just a bundle of things. It's a collection of stuff, like you. So we could break you and I down to our consciousness, our body, perceptions, our sankaras. They're all conditioned. They're all fabricated, as John Adraka teaches us. And what is conditioned can be deconditioned. What is fabricated can be dispersed. So it's a core understanding in Buddhist practice. What is born dies. I have a one of my teachers' favorite phrase is the leading cause of death in this world is birth. <laughs> so it's. Um, Well, I just want to say, I want to toss this in. This is another talk that I'm not giving today. But um, this whole area of what's real and what's made up and what's a collection of things uh, also brings us to the, 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 the idea of emptiness that we hear about in Buddhist study. Emptiness doesn't necessarily mean A vacuum. Emptiness, um, one of the many understandings of emptiness in, in Buddhism is that um, a chariot is empty of inherent chariotness. It's a collection of stuff. Yourself is empty of essential you, your collection of stuff. That's emptiness. That's one, one way of understanding emptiness in Buddhism. So it's maybe not quite as existential, existential as we usually make it out to be. It's the absence of inherent self. So again, it's not an existential theory. I know this sounds fairly kind of intellectual and we can get into our heads about it, but the Buddha says, pay attention to this in your own direct experience. Look within. Know yourself find out you know, where the self is or where it's not. Know what your sankharas are. It's not that you have to get rid of them or change them. But sometimes recognizing an unskillful pattern, as we all know in life, it's what we do in therapy, right? Sometimes recognizing an unskillful pattern, just simply recognizing it causes it to dissolve, go away. So the study of the aggregates and I don't mean intellectual study, but paying attention to the aggregates in our direct experience is um, actually the key to alleviating suffering in life. And the Buddha famously said, I teach only suffering and the alleviation of suffering. So we teachers and people who give Dharma talks can make things very complicated. And there's a lot of lists a lot of uh, philosophy and psychology that's arisen out of uh, Buddha's teachings, but the Buddha said fundamentally, I teach only suffering and the end of suffering. And the end of suffering is, uh, begins with understanding what our suffering is and the, and the aggregates as conditioned, um, uh, conditioned stuff the aggregates are the beginning of suffering. They teach only suffering and the end of suffering. So this is why it's worth um, giving the aggregates some attention. Zen Master Dogen said, and I know you've probably heard this, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. 
To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. So, studying the aggregates in our direct experience, whether in meditation or in everyday life, looking within is to study the self. And to study the self is to forget the self. This is how we let go of this addiction to self that we've got. It's a practice. And the Diamond Sutra. It's a part that I really particularly like. So I say to you, this is how to contemplate our conditioned existence in this fleeting world. Like a tiny drop of dew or a bubble floating in a stream, like a flash of lightning in a summer cloud or a flickering lamp, an illusion, a phantom, or a dream. So is all conditioned existence to be seen. I just I find that very beautiful. That's what we are. Tiny drop of dew. A bubble floating in the screen, in the screen. nothing more. A fabrication. So when Jana Draka said it's nothing to worry about, it's all fabrication. She said, I'm just a tiny drop of dew. No big deal. Nothing to get attached to. <laughs> She's acknowledging the timeless wisdom that um, impermanence is the nature of all things. It's another one of the Buddhas, along with Anatta, another one of the Buddhas. Um, characteristics of existence is impermanence. John Adraka is acknowledging the timeless wisdom that impermanence is the nature of all things. So there's no reason to feel fear, fear death. If you truly understand this on an experiential level, there's no reason to fear death. Death is what's supposed to happen. Indeed, the secret of our lasting happiness comes from accepting the impermanent and conditioned nature of things. In the uh, Theravada tradition, in the monasteries, the monks every single day chant, all conditioned things are impermanent. Their nature is to arise and pass away. To live in harmony with this truth brings the highest happiness. Add that to your daily meditation. So, um, getting back to Jhana, one of the things that I appreciate most about Jhana Draka, is, as I said at the beginning, is her authenticity. She, she leaves nothing out. She's not trying to be a, a wise and important teacher. She's just being Jhana Draka. And that's something that I really admire in her. She doesn't hide anything, including her history, including her less than spiritual background. Indeed, her life experiences are what shaped her and what brought her to her uh, becoming a, a Zen priest. She's fully human. She's obviously a fully human uh, teacher. So this idea of nothing left out is a, is a core teaching in Dharma practice. And I think sometimes we uh, neglect it. I certainly do. Dharma is not only the word Dharma, is um, not only the teachings of the tradition, the teachings of the Buddha, but it's also the nature of reality, the simple nature of reality, nothing left out. So Dharma, our experience of Dharma includes our self-judgment, our weaknesses, our addictions, our greed, our hatred, our delusion, that's all Dharma, nothing left out. So, there's another Dharma teacher I want to mention, uh, besides Donna Draka this morning. Um, and news of his death uh, I, uh, profoundly uh, impacted me in the last couple of weeks. His name is Michael Stone. Um, some of you might have heard of him. Um, he was a uh, 
yoga teacher and a Zen Buddhist teacher in Canada, in British Columbia. Young, 42 years old, but he'd written several books. He had a following, he had a sangha, he had started Buddhist organizations, Zen organizations in different parts of Canada. So he's well known um, in Canada mostly. Uh, had a following, had followers. Apparently was a very wonderful teacher. I didn't know him and um, I actually didn't know him until after he died. Michael died uh, just a couple of, uh, a few weeks ago um, of a drug overdose. He was a victim of the um, opioid epidemic. And uh, after he died, his family um, sent out a, uh, uh, an appreciation of his life and an explanation of sorts to um, various Buddhist organizations and publications where they, um, they said that very few people knew this, but Michael was bipolar and had a, a lot of struggles with mental health in his life. And his drug use, both his legal drug use and his attempts to self-medication was a, uh, an attempt to deal with that uh, challenge in his life. But his family, his partner, his wife, um, and the rest of his family thought it was really important for the world to know that uh, how Michael died and that he was bipolar because they said, and I don't know if this is true, but they said that he was um, on the cusp of talking about that, of uh, revealing his challenges in life uh, when he died. The problem is, is that Buddhists, uh, speaking from personal experience, we Buddhists can be quite idealistic. And we talk about love, and we talk about um, awakening, and we talk about wisdom um, quite a lot from this chair. Um, loving kindness and idealism. Um, and we like to hear about that. We don't always talk so much, especially teachers, about our sadness, our loneliness, our challenges in life, our addictions. The fact is, is that no matter who it is, whatever teacher is sitting up here, is just another human being, like you and I. So, very often, and this is true myself, very often, we leave stuff out when we're teaching. We're talking about the high ideals of Buddhism. Um, we don't talk so much about the gritty reality of being a human being. So, um, back to Jhana, that's one of the things I really appreciate about Jhana Draka, is she brings us back to the gritty reality of being a human being and how that's an awakened state as well. That's part of the path, not to be neglected, nothing left out. So I know this from my own experience. When I get up here, I think, well, they have an expectation that I'm going to be wise and loving. And not a babbling mess. Sometimes I'm feeling like I'm a babbling mess. So I leave things out. It's going to be my practice for, for a while. And it's something I've learned from both Michael Stone and John Adraka in the last few weeks. We can be spiritual and flawed at the same time. That's what it means to be fully human. The Buddha's teaching is all about acknowledging our suffering. That's what the Buddha taught about your flaws, acknowledging our suffering, nothing left out, and facing it directly rather than turning away from what is shameful, what embarrasses us. Don't turn away. Freedom from suffering begins with authenticity, the kind of authenticity that John Adraka shows us. 
the example of both of these teachers, John Adrock and Michael Stone, are an inspiration to me in my practice and an invitation to be more authentic, to be more aligned with the Dharma and the truth. As the Buddha said, be islands unto yourselves, refuges unto yourselves, seeking no external refuge. With the Dhamma, the truth is your island, the Dhamma as your refuge, seeking no other refuge. So, don't pay too much attention to what teachers are like I say. Seek within yourselves. So, I'll end with that. Thank you for your kind attention. And I'm wondering if, uh, I'd be curious what thoughts or reflections you might have, or questions. If not, I'll read you a poem. Sally Tisdale said, Each of us may be nothing more than a moving wave of change, but we are waves able to know this fact. We rise and fall in an infinitely deep and timeless sea, upright and undisturbed. Which reminded me of a poem read it before. This is this poem. Keep in mind that quote I just read about rising and falling in a wave of change. This poem is from the New Yorker magazine, 1947, the end of the war. And I'm just going to read a fragment because it's quite long. The poem is called The Little Duck. Now we are ready to look at something pretty special. It is a duck riding the ocean a hundred feet beyond the surf. No, it isn't a gull. Gull always has raucous touch about him. This was some sort of duck, and he cuddles in the swells. He isn't cold, and he is thinking things over. There's a big heaving in the Atlantic, and he is part of it. He looks a bit like a mandarin, or the Lord Buddha meditating under the bow tree. But he has hardly enough above the eyes to be a philosopher. He has poise, however, which is what philosophers must have. He can rest while the Atlantic heaves because he rests in the Atlantic. Probably he doesn't know how large the ocean is, and neither do you, but he realizes it. And what he does do, I ask you, and what does he do, I ask you? He sits down in it. He reposes in the immediate as if it were infinity, which it is. That is religion, and the duck has it. He has made himself a part of the boundless, by easing himself into it, just where it touches him. Nineteen forty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> so that's about all I have to offer. Tom, please. You know, David, you said something that really struck me. Um, you were talking about the three things that are necessary. Three characteristics of existence. Um, well, the fact that you've got to have an object and a sense to perceive. Oh, that, yes. And then consciousness to stitch them yeah. together. And as you were saying that, it occurred to me, like, everything I perceive, everything I experience, sort of occurs in this box that's bounded by my senses. Yeah. Hearing, sight, yeah. whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, so right now the box is this room and all of you, and I can see some light outside, and the walls and all that. 
But beyond that, I have no, there's nothing yep. for, for me. Yep. And it's sort of curious, too, when you think about it, that box expands in whatever direction I walk. You know, I yeah. open a door, I'm in a new box. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. it might look larger and everything, but I mean, it's sort of trippy when you think about it, but we sort of walk through life in this container. Yeah. And it's the container of our senses. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because that um, the container of our senses, that box, is another model like the aggregates, another model that the Buddha offered of reality. And I just happened to bring along uh, the Buddha quote that I wasn't going to use tonight, but it, it pertains to that. This is from the, the Buddha's discourse on totality. And when the Buddha said this is the discourse of totality, this is it. This is everything. This is the secret teaching. This is reality. It's short. Listen, monks, attend carefully, and I will teach you the totality of things. What is the totality? It is simply the eye and sights, the ear and sounds, the nose and smells, the tongue and tastes, the body sensations the mind and mind objects. If anyone were to proclaim totality beyond this, that person would be speaking of something outside their knowledge. So, yes, we're in that box. It's really, it, it's, it is trippy and well worth reflecting on. I mean, other people, you know, we take, we take things in, news and media and stuff, but really that's just somebody else describing what's going on in their box. Yeah, views and opinions, you know, which which the Buddha said are highly unreliable. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's the attraction to a lot of people about the phrase "fake news." Fake there, news. there is something about what he's saying that is right, and we need to acknowledge that. Um, well. It's, it's funny because a friend of mine, a Dharma friend of mine and I were talking about fake news the other day. We were talking about the, the, the Sankara, we were talking about fabrications as being fake news. But we all have our own fake news. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting. I really appreciate what you said about Dharma Rupa and Nama being mind. I never quite grokked that before. What else is? The name right. of my mind. Yeah. You know, it's not the thing itself. And it's a useful exploration. What else is there? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question to ask yourself. What What else is there? Well, thank you for again for your patience. So. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Showing up. I'm glad I could be here. I feel a whole lot better just having been here. Roy has announcements. I do. I have one quick thing. So you're coming back August 27th? I'm not. I, I gave that date to, um, I believe, uh, to uh, Dagan Gaither because he, oh. missed, he was sick for his. Oh, yeah. His, uh, yeah. So oh. I, think it, I think it's going to be him then. Oh, shoot, because I wanted to say. David likes to meditate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back. There, there will be other opportunities. I'm going to make a note of that. Okay. <laughs> okay, so... Um, okay, a couple of announcements. I'll just begin really quick with Donna. Donna is the Pollywood Forgiving. As a suggested donation, it's $10, but whatever you can freely give is always appreciated by the Sangha. It pays our rent, newsletters, speakers, the Larkin Street dinners, the mailers that we do once a month. Um, our host will be passing around the dongle. Um, I'm going to pass it along to Tom. Uh, next week, August the 6th, we had an open discussion scheduled, but Tom has new information. Yeah, we, uh, our teacher next week will be Stephen Tierney, um, who also happens to be uh, the teacher for our fall retreat in October. So, uh, you know, you may be interested to come and hear him speak. Um, Stephen is a professor of community mental health and he's the chair of the Masters in Counseling, Psychology, 
core curriculum at CIIS here in the Bay Area. He's a licensed psychotherapist and a nationally certified counselor, but he's also an ordained Buddhist priest and is the co-founder and chief education officer of the San Francisco Mindfulness Foundation, um, which does a lot of things. Um, <laughs> it's a long bio. <laughs> he lectures, leads workshops, retreats nationally, taught at universities. Um, anyway, he's very experienced, but he will be with us next week. So. Great. Thank you, Tom. Um, our host. Yes. Welcome, everyone. There. Please enjoy yourselves. Um, and I will be working with Donna Bowl. And if you want to sign up for um, to be on the list, there's a sign up sheet on Credenza. And also, some of us can get 12 30 to have some lunch at the door at that time. And that's about it. Great. Thank you. Any other announcements? No? Okay, let's go ahead and stand for the dedication of By the power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. Thank you, gentlemen. Enjoy your day. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.